All right, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn to Genesis chapter 41 and Acts chapter 10. Again, that's Genesis 41 and Acts chapter 10. I think we're, you guys probably know us, we've been in Genesis like 39 through 41 for quite some time now. I always imagine this stuff will take us about two weeks tops and then it turns into 20 weeks. But this is good stuff. So um, we're talking about the idea of dreamer. That's the name of this message is that there is a dream that God has for every person. If you are alive, God has a calling on your life, that there is a destiny that he's called you to and he will give you a glimpse of that. He will put that desire inside of your heart. But before you can walk into the destiny that God's called you to, there are a series of tests of your character that you have to go through so that you're prepared to be able to walk into what it is he's called you to. And last week we were talking about the prophetic test, about there's the dream that God's put into your heart, there's the word that he's spoken to you, but then there's the waiting time. It's not that he says it and it happens instantly, there's a waiting time. And in that waiting time, it's a test of your faith. And are you going to continue to believe what God has called you to, or are you going to give up on that dream? And if, as we've been looking at all these tests, the last, I think it's, we're on number seven now, the last six have been pretty bad things. It's a test of what happens when something bad goes on in your life, like getting thrown into a pit, sold as a slave, thrown into a jail, having to wait a really long time, stuff like that. But now we're talking about the power test. And the power test is a test of what happens when things are starting to go right in your life, when you're finally starting to walk into the fulfillment of the destiny that God has called you to. And it's how you use that power that God is giving to you. Now, power is something that we all universally agree is a pretty good thing. Everybody wants power. People are trying to gain and to attain power. Uh, when I was a little kid, I remember my older sister, she was four and a half years older than me. So she was born and she had no power. You know, when you're the only child, there's nothing you have power, except maybe mom and dad, if you learn how to wrap them around your finger. But she didn't have anybody that she could boss around or tell what to do or take care of. So then the best day of her life was February 12, 1981, when I was born. Because not only did she have a little brother, but she had someone that she had power over. She could boss me around. She could tell me what to do. She could, you know, dress me up and do stuff like that with me. There's embarrassing pictures to prove that. But I had no power now. I was the one in the family that had no power. There's nobody under me. So the best day of my life was March 31st, 1983, when my little sister Amy was born. Because now I had someone that I could boss around. Now, if you notice that, kids, they have to have someone that they have power over. It's just the way that human nature works. Now, my little sister, she was the last of us three children, so she didn't have anybody that she could boss around. So she would take dolls and she would set them up at a little table and pretend it was a classroom. She'd put papers in front of them and markers and pencils. And she took popsicle sticks and wrote the names of every child that was a doll. And she put it in a little cup and pulled it out. Say, all right, Billy, do you have the answer for question number blah, blah, blah? Billy, you didn't do your homework, did you? And write his name on the board. And I'm thinking, these are dolls, Amy. But she had this need for power. She had to have someone she could exert power over. So the best day of her life was the day that we came home from church and there was this really ugly, stupid, mean, beagle-mixed puppy running around in her goat pen chasing the goats around. Because now she had someone that she could exert power over. You know, everybody has this overinflated sense of their dog's worth. Everybody thinks they have the best, the smartest, the prettiest dog in the world. 95% of the dogs in this world are stupid and ugly. That's just the truth of the matter. But you all think that yours is the smartest and the best because it's yours. Well, this was my dog, and I still thought it was stupid and ugly. I did not like this dog at all. It was a bad, bad dog. And 
my little sister, it was, I felt so bad for this dog. I didn't like it, but at the same time I felt bad for it because she would take this dog and she'd put it in our little red flyer wagon. You guys remember those things? Well, she didn't have anybody else, so she'd just put the dog in the wagon. The dog would try to jump out. She'd be, bad selfie, and, you know, smack her and abuse the poor animal. And then she used to dress the dog up. She'd get dresses, like actual real dresses, and put the dog in dresses and put necklaces around the dog and uh, put little bonnets on the dog and pull it around. And I felt bad for the dog, but it was this need that we all have for power. And that's what my sister was doing through this poor dog that we had. But it's not wrong for us to desire power. If we look at the way that God is, it says God is the one who is all-powerful. And it says that we're made in the image of God. So if we have an all-powerful God who created us in this image, then that means that we are also created to have some level of power inside of us. And in fact, as we look at the way that God made us, it says that there are God-given powers that we have. God gave Adam and Eve power over the garden and over the earth, and they were supposed to care for it and to keep it up. And then, if we look at what Jesus did with his disciples when he's here on earth, it says that he gave them power. He said, I'm going to give you power now, and you can go out and you can heal the sick, and you can cast out demons. And that's what they did. They went out and they used the power that God gave them to bring about the, fulf- the fulfilling of God's kingdom coming to this earth. Power is a good thing. If you're a Christian and you're trying to fulfill what it is that God's called you to do and you have no power, then you're worthless. You can't do what it is that God's called you to do. But if you also have power, but you don't use it for the things that God's called you to, if you misuse or if you abuse this power or don't do anything with it, then that's also equally as worthless. Power is a good thing for us to have. When we exercise the power that God's given us, we see God's kingdom coming to this earth. But we have to make sure that we keep our hearts right in this area. This is what the power test is about, is how are you going to use the power that God has given you? Are you going to use it for yourself or for your own gain? Are you going to use it to lord over other people? Or are you going to use the power that God has given you to walk into the destiny that he's called you to? The way that you seek power, who you seek power from, and then what you use the power for, those are all things that are a part of the power test. And Joseph is a great example for us of how to go through the power test. Now Joseph, last week we were talking about he's been thrown in a jail and he's sitting there. And Joseph's there for a while. And as he's sitting there in the jail, he meets uh, the cupbearer and the bread maker from Pharaoh's court. They've been in prison. Pharaoh was mad at them, threw them in jail. So Joseph meets them because they have a troubling dream. And he can tell by looking at them in the jail that there's something wrong with them. So he says, hey, what's going on? And they tell them the dreams that they had. And Joseph says, well, here's what your dreams mean. He interprets the dreams for them. And he tells the bread maker, your dream means that you're going to be summoned this day and you're going to be executed. That's not a good dream. And he tells the cupbearer that this very day you are going to be summoned and you are going to be restored into serving in Pharaoh's court. And just like Joseph said, those things happened. The cupbearer was executed, and uh, the, sorry, the breadmaker was executed, and the cupbearer was brought back into Pharaoh's court. And Joseph says to the cupbearer as he's leaving, Hey, remember me. When you go back into Pharaoh's court, remember, I'm the guy that can interpret dreams. You might want to drop that to Pharaoh, let him know about me, get me out of this place. And the cupbearer says, oh yeah, absolutely sure, I'll, I'll do that. And then he completely forgets about him and, jail, and Joseph continues to sit in the jail. And sometime later, it picks up now, and it says in Genesis chapter 41, that Pharaoh's had a dream. And this is what it says of it. He has a bad dream, and in 41, starting with chapter, verse 8, 
So in the morning, his spirit was troubled, and this is speaking of Pharaoh, and he sent and he called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dream, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. The cupbearer's memory is jogged. He remembers that guy that he was supposed to tell Pharaoh about that can interpret dreams. Well, he forgot about him. And so the cupbearer says, hey, Pharaoh, I know this guy. I had a dream once, and it, it was interpreted by this guy named Joseph who's in jail, and it came through exactly as he said. And so they send for Pharaoh, and it says in uh, verse 14, Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. So Joseph now has gone from uh, being in this pit, right? He's just sitting there, and he's filthy, and he's all disgusting. And they bring him up, and he gives an interpretation of the dream to Pharaoh. And not only does he give him the interpretation of the dream, but he also proposes a plan for how they should now change the way they're managing the country in light of the meaning of this dream. And then it says in 37 through 44, This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Now this is the third person that said that about Joseph. Potiphar said, The Spirit of God is in this guy. Everything he touches prospers. The jailer says, The Spirit of God is in this guy and puts him in charge of the jail. And now Pharaoh's recognizing the Spirit of God is in this man. And these aren't even believers. They don't even worship God. But they recognize that there's something different about Joseph. And he says, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. And then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it in Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he made him ride in the second chariot, and he called out to those before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no one can lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Remember, just moments before this, he spent two years sitting in a jail, rotting away, completely forgotten about. And then he's called up, and in an instant, it says that the Pharaoh puts him over everything. He gives him his ring, which that signifies the rights that he now has. He's wearing the Pharaoh's ring. He puts gold chains around his neck. That's symbolic of now he's very wealthy. He went from having nothing to now he's a very wealthy person. And he puts him in the second chariot behind him, which shows his authority that he has over the people of Egypt. And to everybody else, it looks like, who is this guy that just got promoted from the jails to being second in command of the most powerful nation on earth? To them, it looked like you just found some hobo, some stinky guy with dirty rags and a deer hunter's beard, and you brought him out and you put him in charge of everything. A couple of you are mad now. I see that. <laughs> but to Joseph, that's not what happened. You see, this was a 13-year process. It wasn't an instant that it happened. It was a 13-year process of him going through a pit, being sold as a slave, being wrongly jailed. It was 13 years from when he received the dream and the vision of the destiny that God had called him to, to the, being put into, not even the fullness of it, but just moving into the beginning now of the fulfillment of that destiny. And at the age of just 30 years old, he, was, he had the character that had been built up inside of him through the 13 years of trials and testing so that he was able to become the second most powerful and the second wealthiest person on the face of the earth. In just a moment, it happened. You know, we're all going through these tests. 
and we're all going to go through the power test. How are we going to respond when God elevates us and when he promotes us and he gives us power to do that which he has called us to do? And the first step to passing the power test that we see from Joseph is, number one, recognizing that power comes from God. Jesus himself says this in John chapter 19. We read about him. He's standing before Pilate. He's been called to give account. Uh, He's been arrested and now he's on trial. And Pilate says to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? And Pilate said, Don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Now, if I was Jesus, which I certainly am not, and some guy said, Don't you realize I have the power to free you or crucify you? Like, who do you think you are? I don't know if Jesus ever rolled his eyes, but I imagine this is the time that he would roll his eyes if he did. Who do you, I made you. And Jesus responds to him by saying, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. See, all power that we have, the people that use power in great ways and people that we see like Pilate who use power in bad ways, it all comes from God. All the power that Joseph ever had, he could have looked at it and said, well, Potiphar's the one that gave me power, or the jailer's the one that gave me power, or the Pharaoh gave me power, but that wasn't the case that happened. The only reason that these people recognized him and promoted him was because the presence of God was on his life. The reason they wanted to promote him was because God's power was already residing inside of Joseph. And so they looked at him, and they saw that he was someone that everything he was touching was prospering, and so they elevated him. But God was the one that made everything he touched prosper. So God was the one that gave him all of that power. And the same is true for your life. All the power that you have is a power that came from God. There's no other way for you to attain power. All true power comes from God and from God alone. It's not something that you can achieve. It's not something that you can earn. It's not something that someone else can bestow upon you. It comes from God. And that should be both reassuring and a bit of a warning to us. It should be reassuring because if you feel like you're in a place of where the calling that God has on you is something that you can't do right now because you don't have the power to do that, you don't have the resources, the provision to do what God's called you to do, and you feel like no matter how you try to make it try, make it happen, uh, people are overlooking you, people aren't buying into the vision that you have, nobody's getting behind it, well, you know what? Your power doesn't come from anybody else. It comes from God. And in one moment, he can look down on you and he can elevate you from the jail to being second in command. But here's also the warning. Is that if you have power and you think that it's yours and that you can do with it as you please, then it's also something that God can take from you in an instant. God is the giver and he is the remover of all the power that we have. And the second thing is that power comes to the humble. Have you ever noticed in the kingdom of God, everything works the exact opposite of the way that you think it would work? It's if you want to be blessed, what do you think you should do if you want to be blessed? I should go out there and I should work really hard and I should go after this and that. But no, it says in the kingdom of God, if you want to be blessed, you need to bless others. It's like, what? And that was one of the trippiest things for me when my parents were teaching me how to make a budget. When I was a little kid, and they're like, okay, you save this much and this is your tithe and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, wait a second, I can't give this away. I'm not giving my 10%. Mom, Dad, you're crazy. And you're like, no, you don't understand. The way that you're blessed financially in the kingdom of God is by giving to the kingdom, and God will bless you. And I was like, you guys are insane. But they made me do it because I was just a little kid, and I didn't have any choice anyways. And I saw the benefit of that. I was blessed financially because I was giving to God. It says if uh, you want to have power in the kingdom of God, how is it that power? The exact opposite of the way that you would think it was. We try to attain power by getting the right degree, by meeting the right people, by working really hard and climbing some sort of a ladder. 
And Jesus' disciples, they're just like us. They have that same mentality. And Jesus uh, overhears them one day. They're arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And I guess, you know, that's a good desire. I want to be great. I want to make an impact in the kingdom of God. And so they're arguing. They're like, I'm going to be it because, you know, I followed him before you did. I'm a better speaker than you. I don't know what all they were talking about. They're debating about why I'm going to be over you in the kingdom of God. And Jesus overhears this, and he's like, oh, you guys, you just still, you don't get it. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? This is what you have to do. You have to be the least. If you want to be greatest in the kingdom of God, you have to become a servant to all people. That's not what greatness looks like. The way that we view power is when you have power, you don't humble yourself. When you have power, you're exalted over other people, and other people serve you. And Jesus even demonstrates this to them in a way that was just completely mind-blowing to them. And back in that time, people had really stinky feet. And I don't like feet at all. Toes are gross. Every now and then someone's like, oh, that's such cute toes. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no such thing as a cute toe. They're either long and spindly like spider legs and gross, or they're chubby little sausages. There's no such thing as a cute toe. So for me, I don't want anything to do with feet as it is. Where, you know, I always cover my feet up because I don't like looking at my own toes. When you look, I'm like, oh, oh, oh. They're just gross. So I keep them covered up. But back then, they're all wearing sandals. They're all walking on dirty, dusty roads. So uh, they're sweating a lot and they're getting gross. And all the animals in the world are, are pooing on the roads and they're walking through this stuff. So their feet are nasty. On top of spindle toes and chubby toes, they've got just disgusting filth all over them. And when you'd go into a house, they would have the lowest slave or the lowest servant in the home. Their job would be to wash the feet of the guests that came in. Because if you didn't wash those feet, you'd be reclining at the dinner table and the stench of it would overpower you and you would gag. So how would you like to be the lowest of the low? And your job is I have to wash the, the animal filth off the feet of the guests that are coming in. I don't like when we're doing baptisms and you see like some lint floating around in the pool. Imagine the floating nastiness inside of that washing bin. That is not the job that I want. But Jesus gets down. They're having the meal. Jesus, who is God, the creator of all things, the most powerful one there is in all the world, he gets down. He puts a robe around himself like a servant. Gets down on his knees. He fills up the basin. He begins to wash the feet of his disciples. That's the model he said. He says, if you want to be great, if you want to be powerful, then you have to humble yourself to the lowest of the low positions. Jesus often says that you have to be a slave. He says, you have to take up your cross and come and follow me. He says, if you want to have life, you need to lose your life. Everything he says goes against the way that we think the world should work. See, the powerful in the kingdom of God aren't those who exalt themselves and take advantage of their rights and their privileges over others. The powerful in the kingdom of God are those who humble themselves and they give up their rights. They give up their privileges and they use their power to humble themselves and to serve those who are below them. In James chapter 4.10, it says, Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up. Moses is a man in the Bible that says he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. Moses wrote that about himself, so I don't know how that works out. But... It was inspired by the Holy Spirit, so I'm going to believe him on that one. But he's the most humble man, and God uses him to defeat the entire Egyptian army without an army of his own. He doesn't fight. He doesn't have a sword. There's not one battle that takes place that Moses fights in. 
But God comes and God lifts him up. God exalts him because Moses has lowered himself. He has humbled himself to become a servant to all. In 1 Peter 5, it says, Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Now, this is a really interesting verse to me because it talks about if you humble yourself, that God is going to exalt you. But if you're proud, it says that God is actually going to oppose you. It's like when you, you guys ever played football when you were a kid and you didn't know what you were doing. It's kind of like you're on, you're on God's team. This is the way it works. Remember when you were a kid and they'd be picking teams and there were certain kids that got to play. And then once you got to the point of where it's competitive teams, now there's cuts and you find out real fast you're not as good as you thought you were. But in the kingdom of God, everybody gets to play. Everybody's a part of the team in the kingdom of God. It doesn't matter if you don't have any skills. It doesn't matter if you're inexperienced. It doesn't matter if you're the kid that nobody else wants on their team. Jesus wants you on his team. And not only does he want you on his team, but he starts you. You're not riding the bench in the kingdom of God. You're a starter. So you get into that game and you've never played football before. But God says, all right, listen to me. I'm going to give you the ball, and I'm going to block for you. Just stay behind me and follow me, and things are going to work out all right. And so you're sitting there. You guys remember the first time you led a small group, or maybe the first time and you went and you served at a mission, or uh, you spoke some more, gave your testimony, shared your faith with a friend. You remember how nervous you were about that? And your, your palms are sweaty. Your voice is doing this. I remember our first Sunday when I got up to speak. like, <coughs> welcome to <coughs> Radiant Church. And I was so nervous, and, and that's how it is. And you get up there on the stage, or you start to speak, and God hands you that ball. And you just, you just hold on to it, you protect it, you got good ball security, and you're just following him, and God's going, and he's knocking down every single player in front of you. And you're just staying right behind him, and he leads you into that end zone. And people start going crazy. They're cheering for you. You don't know what just happened. But everybody's like, oh, that was so incredible. That was so life-changing. Thank you for sharing that with us. You're the best group leader that's ever been. Or thank you for coming to the hospital and praying for me. Thank you for dropping off that meal that you made for me or, or whatever. And you start to be like, yeah. That was pretty sweet, wasn't it? And then the next time, you're sitting there and God says, all right, I'm going to give you the ball and I'll just stay right behind me. And you're like, okay, God. And so a few more times and you're getting the hang of it and then you start doing some stiff arms to people and you get in the end zone and you're spiking the ball and you're celebrating. You're like, yeah, I got this down. This is pretty fun now. But then what happens is one time God says, all right, I'm going to hand you the ball. Just stay behind me. And you say, actually, God, you know what? I'm going to run my own route this time. I think I got my own plan. God says, what? Yeah, God, that's okay. I got this taken care of. All right. Guy walks over across the line of scrimmage. He gets down. And all of a sudden, God's going against you. And if you've ever been tackled by God, he's good at it. He's really good at He can block for you, and he can tackle. He can lay out a hit on you. Because here's the thing. When you're humble, when you say, God, what's your plan for me? God, thank you for using me to do this. God, thank you for giving me gifts and abilities and opportunities to serve you and to glorify you. But I recognize that you might have used a human vessel, but it was your power in me. You know, when I, even this, when I'm getting ready for messages, it's incredibly hard to prepare a sermon, for me at least, and I work really hard, and it's, it's a ton of work, and I'm trying to figure out the order of things and really hear from God, and then I get up, and I do the best job that I can to deliver it. But it doesn't matter how good of a job I do at delivering a message. 
if it's not for the power of God working in your hearts as you hear it. It's for nothing because I can't save anybody. I can't heal anybody. I can't restore someone's marriage. I can't give you hope. All I can do is point you to the one who does. And I work as hard as I can at it. But it comes down to following God's plan for my life and allowing him to block me and humbling myself before him and humbling myself before others. Because if we don't do that, then God opposes us. And you will not walk into your destiny. You will not do that which he's called you to if you don't first humble yourself before the Lord. See, pride is an ugly thing. Have you ever met someone that was incredibly successful and very proud? You can't stand those people. It doesn't matter how good they are. You don't want to hang out with them. Have you ever met someone that was incredibly successful and incredibly humble at the same time? That's beautiful. You love being around people like that. God wants to use you. God wants to pour his power out in your life. But he needs to know that you're someone who will do it humbly. And as you humble yourself before the Lord, it says that he will lift you up. He will pour his strength out into you. Uh, And then the third thing is that power comes to help people. In Acts 10, verse 38, it says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good things and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Now, what did Jesus do with this power? He helped other people. He didn't use it to build his own platform. He didn't use it to exalt himself and to elevate himself. In fact, when his own life was on the line, he could have summoned the angels that said to come and to rescue him. But he wouldn't do that because he's using his power to lay himself down as a sacrifice for others so that hurting, broken, lost people could be made whole. And that's the same thing that we're called to do. Even if we look at Joseph, why was it that God poured power out in Joseph? Was it to elevate and exalt Joseph just so that he could be rich and have a good time and a good life? That's not what he did that for. He didn't even exalt Joseph to vindicate him to say, yeah, you really were the victim the last 13 years. He did it to save nations. There was a famine that was coming that would destroy thousands, tens, hundreds of thousands of people. I don't know how many. But there was something bad that was going to happen and God looked down on the earth and he said, who can I pour my power out into in order to save these lives? And he saw Joseph and he saw his heart and he saw his humility. He saw the character that he had. And he said, I can use someone like him. I can trust someone like him to be a steward of the power that I'm going to put in him. And that's what happened. Egypt was saved. Israel was saved. Many of the surrounding lands, they all came because of the power that God poured out on Joseph and the wisdom that he gave him to create a plan to survive the famine. Thousands and thousands of lives were saved. And that's the same thing that God has called us to. You see, we can either use the power that God has given us for ourselves to elevate ourselves to make our lives better, or we can use the power that God has given us for others. The way that Joseph did, the way that Jesus did. You know, Brother Abraham's one of the most humble people that I have ever met. I'm always so blessed every time we get to write out a check every month to support him and the orphanage and, and everything that's going on over there. In the same way that God trusted Joseph with power, he's trusted Abraham with power because he said, I'm willing to go and to live on the streets to beg for food. And the power that I receive, I'm not going to use for myself. I'm going to use it and because of his faithfulness. God has elevated him and exalted him. Start orphanages and schools. He feeds hundreds of thousands of children every single week in the nation of India. 
You would never guess it by looking at him, the resources that he has access to, but he doesn't use it for himself. He had a, a one, it was a, sorry, two-bedroom apartment that he lived in forever until just recently. And he had five guys living in the basement of it that were all training to, to study under him and to be pastors. He used everything that God gave him for the kingdom of God. And God continued to look at him and to just pour out more and more power on him. You see, the power test is the test of servanthood. This is a test of stewardship. Are we going to take what God has given us and use it to serve the least of these? Because you see, there's a problem that we see in our world. There are hurting, there are lost, there are broken people everywhere we look. But we have the God who has all power, all provision. The problem isn't God and his ability to meet the needs. It's a distribution problem. It's because we're not good at using what God gives us for the broken people that are around us. But that's what we've been called to do. That's the reason that God has poured out power on you. And if you want to be used more effectively, if you want to receive more power to see broken and hurting people made whole again and to meet their needs, then you need to humble yourself and you need to recognize that the power came from God and that he gave it to you to help other people. My grandfather, not my grandfather, my great-grandfather, I just learned the story of him this weekend at the funeral. My grandma was telling me. I never met him, but my grandma was telling me that he started out life very poor, worked his way up, became a banker, owned his own bank, and then with the money he got from that, he bought several businesses, several homes, apartment buildings, investment properties. He was a very wealthy guy. They had a huge brick mansion, and it was, it was just great. He was living the American dream, had seven beautiful children and a wife. And then the Great Depression hit. And his tenants couldn't pay him rent anymore and the people that were renting his homes. The people that had mortgages through him, they weren't able to meet their payments. And so what he did was he went and he sold businesses. He sold investment properties. He sold the mansion that he lived in and they moved into a two-bedroom little tiny house with seven kids. Because he recognized that God had given him great wealth and great power that he could use and he wasn't willing to kick a single person out of one of the homes that he had, one of the apartments that he had. So he gave everything that he had away. He lost it all. And then shortly after that, the little house they moved into caught fire. And everything they had in the whole world, everything that was left was in that house. And it was destroyed. And my grandma was left in the house and they couldn't find her. Six of the kids got out, but she was still in there and they couldn't find her. And so one of her brothers ran back in and brought her out. And they just celebrated that God had preserved their family and that God was still in this. He wasn't mad at God ever. And then shortly after that, he got very sick and he died. And he left behind a wife, seven children. His wife was three months pregnant. They had no home. They had no money. Everything that he had. He'd gone from being a wealthy man to having nothing and then dying and leaving his family in just a terrible state. And my grandma had to go and to live with one of her aunts because her mom couldn't care for her. And you'd look at that and you'd say, God, where's the justice in this? How is it that that could happen? to someone like this. And you would think my grandma might be mad and she might think, God, how could this happen? Or you'd think that maybe because of the hurt she's gone through that she'd become a hoarder and someone that always wants to have wealth and possessions around her. But when she was 11 years old, God spoke to her heart. And she committed her life to being a missionary. For 42 years, she and her husband pastored a church and they have a room in their house that's my favorite room and it's just filled with pictures of the 14 different countries that she's led mission trips to. 
Because she fulfilled the dream, the destiny. And that idea of using power to bless the poorest and the weakest and the least of these, even at great cost to ourselves, especially at great cost to ourselves, was the true way to live your life. And there will be thousands of people that will receive her into the kingdom of God when it's her time to go and to meet Jesus face to face. Because she recognized, just like her dad did, that God has blessed us so that we can bless others. That's the power test. What are you doing with what it is that God's given you? You all stand with me this morning as we close. My favorite thing about the story about my great-grandfather and my grandma is how much it reminds me of what it is that Jesus has done for us. It's Jesus that says that he's the all-powerful, magnificent creator, the one who was before anything else was. He's always existed. And it says that he emptied himself of his riches, that he laid aside divine attributes to come and to live as a peasant, to be despised and to be rejected. He laid everything out. It cost him everything. He laid his life, his own body, and his own blood was shed so that the hurting, the lost, and the broken of this world could be redeemed and restored. Because he looked at us, he looked at you in the state that you're in, in his love for you, in his love, he said, I'm not willing to live with these riches and this glory that I experience in heaven if you are going to be so far from me. So I'm willing to give it all up to heal you, to make you whole, to adopt you into my own family as a son or as a daughter. We can live that way because of what Jesus has first done for us. You guys pray with me this morning. This morning, if you've been going through that power test, and we all are, maybe God's speaking to you. I encourage you, open up your heart and allow him to speak to you this morning. What is it that he's saying to you? How are you using everything that God's given you? Before you can move into the fullness of his calling on your life, you have to pass the power test. Maybe you've been seeking power in the wrong places. You've been feeling passed over and powerless. This morning, you need to turn to God and you need to seek him and say, God, would you fill me with power? Maybe you've had pride and God's been opposing you in what you're doing, then maybe this morning is time for you to humble yourself and say, Jesus, I submit myself to you. I make myself a servant to all. And allow him to elevate you. Or maybe this morning you haven't been using what God's given you to bless others. And this morning, maybe what God's speaking to you is to trust me. To trust that as you give of yourself and everything that you are, that I'm going to continue to be your sufficiency, that I'll continue to be your strength, and I will continue to fill you, and that I'll pour out more blessing on you than you can possibly contain. Or maybe this morning, you're here and you haven't entered into that relationship with God. Maybe this morning, he's speaking his love over you in a new way. And you just need to start by responding to God's love for you. And saying, Jesus, I surrender my life to you. Would you come and would you fill me? Would you make me new? Would you make me whole? I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I don't want to live this old life I've been living anymore. I want new life. I want life with you. Whatever it is that God's speaking to you. 
take just a moment to respond to him.